take your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 this morning. We're going to begin reading in just a moment with verse 6. Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 6. As you're turning, I want to encourage all of you to tune back in this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll be studying once more our book together, Sacred Sites, and uh, this is a little book that I wrote over the course of the last three years, and tonight we're going to be at one of my favorite places in Israel, Masada, and tonight I'm going to be preaching on the fortress of Masada. So in your little book, if you will go to chapter F in the alphabet for the fortress of Masada, And tonight I'm going to be preaching and teaching about this wonderful place and how it relates to us in the Christian life. There are three things in this book. There's archaeology, geography, and theology. And what is important for us is the theology. How does it relate to me? How does it relate to God? And how can I live out my Christianity by studying the sacred sites of the Holy Land. So tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be right back here at the Sweetwater Baptist Church studying together sacred sites on Masada. But now this this morning, rather, in Romans chapter 5, and someone has called the book of Romans the fifth gospel. We have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and someone has called Romans the fifth gospel. And I want us to read now in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing, and here's what he says. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died. Notice that word, died, for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I'm speaking on this subject this morning, the cruel cross. The cruel cross. Today is Palm Sunday. It is traditionally the day in which our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rode a donkey, as Brian mentioned earlier in the word for today, rode the donkey down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem, and all of the citizens there began shouting and worshiping and proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
So on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters in Jerusalem. Next Sunday will be Easter Sunday, and Jesus will arise from the dead. During that week, there were a number of events in the life of Jesus. For example, on Thursday of that Passion Week that we call it, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. We call this the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake of together. Then that evening, he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Friday, he went before the Sanhedrin and was formally condemned to death, and then he was crucified. He lay in that tomb until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he arose from the dead victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Now, oftentimes, as Christians, we tend to separate the cross from the tomb. And we'll have the cross on one day and the tomb on another. And certainly, in the sequence of events, that's how it occurred. But for us as believers, you cannot separate the two. Uh, There is the cross, and then there's the resurrection. You can't have an empty tomb without a cross. This morning as we come to think about the cross of Calvary and to participate together in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the symbolism of the cross. There's great symbolism in the cross of Jesus. And so I want to point out to you before we have our Lord's Supper together, all that is taking place here related to the cross. I think about that old hymn that says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. In fact, the lyrics of that particular chorus of that great hymn reminds me when it said it was there by faith. Right now, all over America, There is a faith over fear campaign that is taking place. It began with a woman in the state of Kentucky. And because of all the negative uh, news media and because of all of the bad news related to the coronavirus, she wanted to do something special, positive, something that reflected her faith. And so she erected and constructed a cross and she put it in her yard with lights on it clear lights, and she lights it up at night, and it's a testimony of the cross and her faith, and now people all over the United States are doing that. I want to encourage you to do it. I'm planning to do it at my house this very week to put up a cross with lights on it to remind us of the hope that we have at Calvary. So this morning, we're looking at the symbolism of the cross And there are three things that I want to call to your attention. Number one, I call to your attention the necessity of the cross. The necessity of the cross. Now, why was it essential and necessary that Jesus die at Calvary? Well, verse 11 tells us, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received 
the atonement. In that particular verse, it reminds us of the work that Jesus did at the cross. And the reason that Jesus had to die at Calvary was because of our sin. The sin of all the world. Now when we think about sin this morning, we're reminded that sin is universal. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everyone who has ever lived and who is living on planet earth today is a sinner. I'm a sinner, you, you are a sinner. But praise God, we have a great Savior, and His name is Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. So sin is universal, but it's also personal. I'm a sinner. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, when the publican went to the house of the Lord to pray, and the Bible tells us he wouldn't even look up, and here was his prayer. Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Sometimes when I read that, I want to say, Paul, move over. You're not the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. But really what Paul said about himself, we can all say about ourselves because we are all sinners this morning. Now, there are two words that I want to point out to you that refer and remind us of the necessity of the cross. In the King James Version of the Bible, in verse 11, it uses the word atonement. Atonement. What is atonement? Well, <clears throat> the word atonement means the appeasement of the wrath of God. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of many sacrifices that were given. Lambs and goats and calves. If a person was poor, they could bring a turtle dove or a pigeon to offer as a sacrifice for their sin to the priest. He would give that offering unto the Lord to cover their sin, to appease God's wrath. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross in order to appease the very wrath of God. A penalty had to be paid for sin, and Jesus came to pay that penalty. In the Believer's Study Bible, they have a wonderful definition of atonement. Listen to these words. The work of Christ on the cross is the means by which sinners can be brought into a right relationship with God. Christ, as man, willingly bore the punishment of sinners in their place and as God sufficiently paid the penalty for sin. So as man, he became our substitution. As God, he paid the penalty. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. It was my cross he carried. It was my shame that he took to Calvary. When he was whipped and tortured and beaten, that should have been mine. But he took my place because he realized that I couldn't do it myself. Neither could you. And so that word atonement reminds us of the sacrifice that he was willing to make for you and for me. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 2 puts it this way. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. The Bible tells us when he came to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, at the Jordan River. And John saw him approaching, said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus was that Lamb. Jesus was that sacrifice. And that's why it was necessary for him to die there. Warren Wearsby, who went home to be with the Lord last year, that great writer and commentator, said this, By his death on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the entire sacrificial system and put to an end to it forever. He accomplished with the offering what millions of animals on Jewish altars could never accomplish. So there's the word atonement. But let me give you another word. It's the word reconciled or reconciliation. Now, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading from, I'm reading from the King James Version this morning. And in verse 11, it uses the word atonement. But if you're reading from an ESV or an NIV, it uses the word reconciliation. In fact, look at verse 10. Even in the King James, it uses the word reconciled. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, the word reconciliation is really a mathematical term. Uh, it carries the idea of an addition sign that looks like a cross. And the addition sign, the plus sign, brings things together. One plus one is two, and two plus two is four, and three plus three is six. Well, what the cross does is that it brings sinful man and holy God together, and they are reconciled. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. So when we think about the necessity of the cross, we are reminded of his sacrifice. But now there's a second thing I want to call to your attention, and that is the agony of the cross. The agony of the cross. Now, if you were to go back and read this passage of Scripture, you would discover a word that keeps appearing, the word died or the word death. For example, in verse 6, it tells us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Let me read verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that way while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, during this coronavirus pandemic, many are concerned about their own health. They don't want to die. And they're afraid and they're wearing masks and gloves and, and certainly we've been encouraged to do all of that. I'm not uh, making light of that in any way. 
but we are so concerned about our physical life. And we want to live. Right now we're practicing social distancing and we're trying to be careful about being in large groups and so forth in order to avoid uh, contracting the coronavirus. Why is that? Because we want to live. Jesus wanted to die. And he wanted to die for you and he wanted to die for me. And it uses the word die, death here. And it's a reminder of what Jesus went through for you and for me. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus died so that we could live. And Maybe you're listening to me or watching me this morning and You've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, a man that was willing to give his life for yours. And yet you would like to have that personal relationship. And you've never invited him in. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me encourage you to call one of those numbers with our prayer partners. They'll be happy to pray with you. What better day on a Palm Sunday than to give your heart and your life to Jesus? Here was a man that went to the cross for you. Can't you give your life to him today? And it reminds us of the torture and the brutality and the agony and the pain that he was willing to suffer for you and for me. Isaiah 53 verse 5 in the Old Testament puts it this way, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. They spit on him. They plucked his beard out. They beat him with a rod. They mocked him. They laughed at him. They crucified him. And he did all of that for you. His agony was physical, his agony was mental. His agony was even spiritual. The agony that Christ Jesus went through for you and for me so that we could have life eternal. Fanny Crosby, that great hymn writer of another era, when she was a little girl, a physician came as she was an infant. She was having a, she had an eye infection and the doctor came and he put some salve on her eyes. And unfortunately, it blinded her. He administered some type of a salve that he should have never administered. She went blind. She wrote many of the wonderful hymns that we love and we sing together as the people of God. Someone asked Fanny Crosby, How will you know Jesus, Fanny, when you get to heaven? And she wrote these beautiful words. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know Him. I shall know Him 
and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him by the print of the nails in His hands. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has nail-pierced hands for you and for me. The agony of the cross. Well, there's one final thing I want to call to your attention this morning. And that is the mercy of the cross. The mercy of the cross. Yes, there's the necessity, sin. There's the agony of it, his suffering. But Then when we think about the mercy of the cross, we are reminded of his salvation. Now, there are two things involved in the mercy of God. First of all, there is his compassion. Look at verse 8. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the way the NIV version of the Bible puts that. But God demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 declares, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jerry Bridges makes this statement about the cross. If we want proof of God's love for us, then we must first look at the cross where God offered up His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. So when we think about Calvary, it is a picture of the love of God. Some people illustrate symbolism, love with a heart, like we would see at Valentine's Day. But really, ladies and gentlemen, love is a cross. God built a bridge to himself with two boards and three nails through his son, Jesus Christ. But not only in this mercy do we find the compassion of God, we find the cleansing of God, his forgiveness. Look down at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There is cleansing this morning in the precious blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You precious ladies out there, many of you men who wash clothes, you use laundry detergent. One of those laundry detergents is called all. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus gave all when he died at Calvary. And it is the detergent that gets the stains and the dirt out of our garments and our clothing. Friend, it is the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. The Bible tells us if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of our sins sins. The Bible reminds us of how precious that blood is. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. One of the videos that Brother Mark Abbott put up on our screen this morning 
were the great words of Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus gave his all at Calvary. Why don't you give your all to him this morning? I'm about to have a moment of prayer. I want to remind you that our prayer partners are available to you. And you can call those numbers, and if you've never been to Calvary, the, the, the ground is level at Calvary, and there is room for you at the cross. And if you're willing, by faith, to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, He'll forgive you, He'll wash your sins away, He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. You'll be able to go to heaven when you die. He loves you today. Call those numbers. They'll be happy to pray with you, talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. We're going to pray together. Then we're going to prepare our hearts together for the Lord's Supper. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we say thank you for the cross today, for the necessity of it, the agony of it, and the mercy of it. And it is because of that cross that we're able to come the Lord's Supper now. Lord, partake of that wonderful meal that you established as an ordinance of the church. Lord, how precious are families that are gathered around computer screens, maybe on their smart television, maybe on their iPad or tablet, maybe by a phone. God, I thank you for those who are watching to be a part of our Lord's Supper this morning. So, oh God, bless us now as we partake of the elements and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. I want to read from the Gospel of Mark, beginning with verse 22, that gives us the account in which Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with His disciples. This comes from Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it, gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily, I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wherever you're at, I want you to get your Lord's Supper elements together. Let's get ready to participate in the observance of the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that on that evening that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
We just studied about the agony of the cross. Jesus died, suffered, went through excruciating pain and torment for you. And as we partake of the bread, we are reminded of that sacrifice that Jesus gave for you and for me. Jesus said, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. You may take of your bread. The Bible says that on that same evening, he took up the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to him and said, This is my blood which is shed for you. Beverly Reese, Jim Reese this morning when I saw their Facebook post, they had their little olive wood uh, little cup that they had at the garden tomb when we were in Israel. I have mine today. I was so blessed back in January to have been in that garden tomb with my dear friend Chris Bryan who pastors in Fountain Inn, South Carolina. I joined his group there and uh, because we had been roommates in college, uh, the guide knew that. and He arranged, came to us and asked us, would we be the ones to serve the Lord's Supper, the bread and the juice? What an honor that was. And I'm holding in my hand the little cup that I used in the garden, the garden tomb area in the city of Jerusalem. And yours may not have come from Jerusalem, but it is just as special and just as important to you this morning. Because it's your cup. Think about what Jesus did for you and what he did for me when he shed his blood at Calvary for all of us. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of our sins. You may take of the juice. The Bible tells us that on that evening, that after they had observed the Passover meal, they sang a hymn, and then were dismissed. Mark Abbott's going to come, we're going to sing together, and after this song, he will dismiss you. I look forward to seeing you back tonight at 6 o'clock as we'll be studying about Masada. Let's sing together. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. I want to share with you this last verse. We're not going to sing it this morning, but in closing today, 
the stanza four of Blessed Be the Tie. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. For all of us here at Sweetwater Baptist Church, we pray that you have a blessed Palm Sunday and a blessed Holy Week. May God keep you safe until we meet again.